Did everyone get the uh, the email that I sent out earlier in the week? Good. Nobody. Everybody. Nobody did not get it. Double negative. Okay. Good. Um, so we're going to talk about four uh, case studies, and uh, really, I hope we only talk about three of them uh, because I don't see how the fourth one applies. But um, I didn't. I didn't do the, this um, um, PowerPoint. Uh, I didn't. I didn't organize these classes. As a matter of fact, we've had a committee of people that have been working on this for quite some time. So this is. This. It, they. They tell me if I will just follow this verbatim, I'll be fine and I won't get in trouble. But you all that know me know that that's not the way I do things. Um, so last week we looked at. I, how we establish our response to God's plan for humanity. How, how can Otter Creek establish our response to what God has done for us? Uh, today we're going to take a few a look at a few uh, New Testament snapshots of uh, how Jesus offered grace to others and even how Paul offered grace that was different. And we're going to try to extrapolate that, I use a big word, extrapolate that into what Otter Creek could do and how that could look for Otter Creek because truly that's our thought and that's what we're that's what we're um, you know Jeff sees the world as uh, a glass half full uh, I see any time I walk into a meeting as a glass half empty so but he loved the retreat this weekend I tolerated the retreat this weekend <laughs> um, but the whole retreat this weekend is spent on vision um, and and what what that looks like for Otter Creek and you know it's it's a hard hard thing and it says you know scripture says where there is no vision the people perish so we're, we're we don't want you to perish we're trying to have a vision so help us um, next week we're going to talk we're examine some contemporary case studies to be faithful of God's plan and how we live in grace and love to others uh, we are going to talk about uh, uh, sexuality some next week sexual purity. Uh, and uh, I, it'll be an interesting week. Come back. Come back and, and be a part of that. Um, today, uh, the aim for this class is to help Outer, Great, Outer Creek engage in turbulent culture with faithfulness and grace. And the aim for today is to describe how we can live in grace in this world. Um, okay, let's go. I don't want to do that again. We, this is just review from last week. Okay. So the first snapshot we're going to look at is the Samaritan woman at the well. It's found in John 4. If you have your scriptures, it'd be great if you opened it and took a look at it. Um, what is, and really, the way I perceive today's class, and so this may make you uncomfortable, I don't want to teach. I want to, I'm going to pull it out of you because you've heard this all your life. Let's pull it out and, and talk about it. So if you need to be looking at it, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. So it says that Jesus was going from point A to point B and he decided to go through Samaria. Why is that a big deal? Jews don't go to Samaria. Why? That's not going to do it because it's not going to do it. <laughs> hey, Dr. Graves. I love your... <laughs> I loved your I loved your full Randy Harris regalia today. That was good. All we need is the cross. That's it. <laughs> um, so why did Jews not go to Samaria? 
Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Why? Because Jews think Samaritans are dogs. They think they're what? They're dogs. That's good. Why? I'm not going to quit, Jeff. Because <laughs> <laughs> not circumcised. Because of Lot. Because what? They came from Lot and his daughters, right? No. No. Yeah. Under a, a mixed race of people as a result of one of the many conquests, I think it's Syrian. Uh, as a result of the what? The many conquests. The many yeah, the Babylonians. The Assyrians of Babylon. Yeah. Okay, so here's how that here's how that works. In, in when the Babylonians came in, or the Assyrians, I don't know which that was Northern Kingdom said was Assyrians. So when the Assyrians came in, they took all of the all of Jews, all the people in there. They took them to Assyria. Okay, except for a few, and those were the weaklings and the people that couldn't walk, and they left people there to tend to the people that couldn't walk, and so there were a few that they left behind. Okay. Here's the beauty of being a Syrian or a Babylonian. They, their conquest was of the whole world. This is exactly how the Romans did it as well. So when they conquered a territory, they would send their people in. And they would tell them, assimilate. So they intermarried. And so all of these, um, all of these people, I'm, I'm doing, uh, so all of these people were half-breeds, literally. They were part Jewish, part Samaritan. But when Nehemiah came back to build the temple, the Samaritans got a group of people and said, oh, it's so great to have you back in the land. Can we help build the temple? What did Nehemiah say? Get out of here, you dogs. You're half-breeds. This is our temple. We don't so as a result, the Samaritans on Mount Gerizim, uh, the Samar- and I, I should draw that, the Samaritans on Mount Gerizim built their own temple. Um, and that's where they would worship. And it was a small replica of the temple in Jerusalem. Um, if you do, if you do, um, if this is Jerusalem, if this is the Mediterranean Sea, then you would have, let's see, let's do the Sea of Galilee over here. And you come down, the Jordan River comes down, and then you have the Dead Sea. That's, that's always a good way to a good anchor. The Israel at its widest point is 32, I mean at, at its narrowest point is 32 miles wide. At its widest is 58 miles wide. Okay? So, uh, we're, the area we're talking about right here is called Sychar. Sychar is next to two of the most uh, contested cities in all of Israel. Uh, Nabulus. Nabulus is, uh, Sychar is a suburb of Nabulus. And um, uh, Hebron are the two where there are approximately um, 500 Jews that live there and 4,000 Israel, Israel soldiers, Israeli soldiers protect them in each one of those towns. Nabulus, which is right by Sychar, is the place where Joseph's bones were buried. You remember the whole deal where Joseph's bones were carried out of Egypt with the children of Israel, did the 40... The wanderings, it took almost 400 years for the uh, Israelites to bury Joseph's bones. They buried it in Nabonus. There's a tomb of Joseph's bones protected by the Israeli army. Uh, Yasser Arafat uh, promised in the Y River Accords to protect um, with Jemakad, uh, uh, to protect uh, the uh, Joseph's bones in Nabonus because it has no Muslim heritage. 
that's the deal about Islam. Whatever they capture, they erase whatever heritage was there and they make it their own. So there was no Muslim heritage. Um, they agreed in the Y River Accords to let the Palestinians um, guard the tomb. And within 24 hours, it had been destroyed. Uh, they've since the Israeli soldiers have come back in and taken it over and they built it back. Uh, but that's why we got to watch it. So, Sychar literally in Hebrew means drunken. The Israel, the the children of Israel did not like Samaritans. They did not like going through Samaria, but Jesus chose to go through Samaria. Okay. So he gets to Samaria, and then he see, he's thirsty. And he sends his disciples to do what? Go get food. We're hungry. Go in the town and get food. Even though it's Samaria, go buy some food. And he sits down at a well, Jacob's well, which there, I don't know, there's seven Jacob's wells today, so I don't know which one it was. But it was Jacob's well. And he sat at Jacob's well, and this, he sees this Samaritan woman. Now, what miraculous thing happens right now? He talks to her. He talks to her. That's a miracle. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Men don't talk to women. <clears throat> Much like in the Muslim world today, you don't look at a woman and say something um, because she's not yours. And you don't, if it's property, you don't talk. So a miracle happens, Jesus talks to her. And what's the conversation like? Somebody find it there and read it. Read it for us, just so we can hear the conversation. Can you read it? Yes. Uh, start with verse 7, I guess. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I, water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Okay, let's hold right there. Okay. Let's hold right there. So, they have this exchange, and the, the idea of living water versus dead water comes up in, in this uh, discussion. Does anyone know what the, what the difference between living water and dead water is? <clears throat> living water is flowing. The word is perge. literally means bubbling up. It's where it, it's some of the, uh, it's the reason that some, <clears throat> I'm to think of a kind word, how to say it. It's the reason that some congregations of churches of Christ when they um, baptize, they open the drain and turn the water on. Because it needs to be living water, not dead water. It's per gay. Okay? You get that? Dead water is cistern water. 
It's collected off a roof. It goes down. A, it's just in a holding tank. It's dead. Okay. There's a big deal about living water, dead water. When when Jesus says, "I'm the living water," he's saying, "I I got something that you don't have." Okay. Um. So. Um. The, get into the whole big thing about her husband. And and all that, but um, what is the what is the the sense of this whole interaction? What what is what is it that Jesus has done? You remember when the apostles came back and they came back with food? <clears throat> what did Jesus say to them, and what did they not say to him? Well, if the first question was, why are you talking to her? Well, they didn't ask that because if if you and I are buddies and I go get some food and I come back and we're we're uh, Zedekiah we're we're righteous Jews and I come back and you're talking to a woman a Samaritan woman I'm going to castigate you in public. Notice his apostles don't do that. Why? Because he's burned them too many times. He's burned them too many times. He's taught them by now that I'm different. I'm doing a different thing. Something different is happening. Can anyone think of a modern day parallel to this? How might this story affect us at Otter Creek? We go all over the world. We're missionaries to all kinds of people. But are there people that you avoid? Because I'll tell you, there are people I avoid. Who do you avoid? He wouldn't have been dealing with their prejudice. And he's done that. He does that again when he tells the story of the Samaritan. <laughs> so without saying your prejudice or, or what our culture has taught us about these people that they're dogs that's not true right right so that would have been in your face wouldn't it I think so and that it was a woman that would have been in your face absolutely also it, says Nehemiah was wrong <clears throat> it, that's, that's true that's true <laughs> that Nehemiah should have had kingdomized as opposed to Jewish eyes does that convict anybody of anything? I got a great example. And I, I deal with it multiple, multiple times a day, and it fries me. I don't know how to handle it. It's those guys standing at the corner begging. I've heard Daniel talk about how he handles it. I don't have that much money. I'm just kidding. Um, it, it, it bothers me. How do you handle it when, when you're confronted with somebody and you want to spread the love of Jesus to them, but you don't like what they're doing? <clears throat> I remember when Doug Sanders one time, uh, I, I asked Doug, because Doug, <laughs> here's Doug, 
Doug would get out of the car and stand with them on the corner for 30 minutes and talk to them and get their whole story. He knew every panhandler that graded my soul. And he knew their story. And I said, Doug, how do I handle that? And he said, you give them a dollar and you go on. He said, because if you don't have time to handle their stories, you can't handle them. Their stories are vast and multiple. But I want to handle their story. I want to get into it with some of them. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> what about if, a, if the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormons come in? I, ha- I was getting a haircut this week. Thank you very much. And, uh, and there were two elders. We were sitting together. I was sitting with the elders. And, and I didn't ask them about their magic underwear. I, didn't, I was nice. <laughs> but I could have opened up the whole gamut. We could have gotten into it. It would, it would have just been a... How do you handle it? Angus, this is a great... James, this is a, a great discussion for you. You'll be able to help. <laughs> hey, Randall, yes. I, uh, I was raised Catholic, and then I went to Beaumont, which was Baptist University. Oh, no. And, um, and then you go to the Church of Christ. You and are then, straight. Then I went to Church of Christ and the Church of Christ, and I'm still here. But um, it's, I, I think I have a different... I try to have maybe an empathetic perspective because I remember my freshman year at Belmont, um, my roommate and I bonded really quickly and she was a Christian, came from Presbyterian Church and I was telling her my growing up and her comment was, it is just so amazing that you grew up Catholic and you're a Christian. And I was like, <laughs> wait a second, you know, and, you know, like we need to pray for your family and all these things. I'm like, well, we're all Christians. So I, I just have, and, and then when I met Matt Adams, who is Church of Christ, I was like, oh dear, you know, am I in the chosen people? You know, that's what I knew of the, the Church of Christ was only so many people are going to heaven. So it's just funny how we make these assumptions, and even to Doug's point, that it was usually something, you know, beyond right. beyond that are kind of stereotypes. Right. So. That's amazing. Anybody else? How can this affect us at Otter Creek? tells us to be open. tells us to be loving. It tells us to maybe step out. I, I loved David's close today when he says, <clears throat> you know, if you could just do one thing a day for God. Just do one thing a day for God. Maybe we would get rid of all the panhandle. No, I'm just... Um, <laughs> um, I think we're, we're in a bubble. Um, you know, if you look at Around. We're all middle of the upper class, white people who live in Mortville, Tennessee, and it can become this really tight bubble. And what Jesus did there was he stepped out of the bubble. And so even for us to just open our eyes and step out of our bubble can change our perspective on so many things. Absolutely. You're right. You're talking about the obvious stuff, the things that they walked up and they saw a me and that she was a woman and that she was a Samaritan. They didn't hear her talking about it, but she also had hidden things. Uh, so often we as Christians like to overlook the things that we choose, not just 
skin color, that's easy. You know, we can walk up to people and get their skin to different religions. Sometimes we miss the mentally disabled. We miss the physically disabled. We miss the people who are struggling with some, some kind of sin or shame that's just yeah. drives them <laughs> to another end completely. We don't want to touch them. Right. How uh, yeah that that's exact that's exactly it. So what I've found is when you step outside your bubble and you and you talk to those people like Jesus did, it it doesn't take very long for there to be something in their story that is just like your story. Right. And so if you can just get to that point. You, you pretty quickly realize we're, we're not that much different, you, you know. In that conversation, you can pretty easily see there's a there's something there that is similar between you and whoever it is you're talking to. If I could make a confession, I would tell you, and Joel, I'll get to you in a second. If I could make a confession, I would tell you that if I'd been sitting at the well and the woman came up to draw water, I don't care how thirsty I was, I would have sucked on pebbles before I'd ask her for a drink. Because I don't want to get involved. I don't want to get involved. Sure. Not just in this one, but in all four. Oh, you're getting ahead. From a, from a communication <laughs> standpoint. But um, based upon communication theory, when two strangers meet, there's a level of uncertainty and a level of trust. Uh, and to the first thing that people do is they go to stereotypical perceptions until they're able to communicate. And what, you know, to me, what it is, is that if you go by the stereotype and you don't communicate, then that uncertainty is going to stay and those perceptions are going to stay where they are. Right. But if you're willing to communicate, then you can start finding common ground and common standing, which exactly what Jesus did in this. They found common ground, they found common standing, and they started talking. But it's a matter of trust in most of the situations. And when we meet somebody new for the first time, there's not that level of trust. We fall back on those stereotypes to be able to make a decision whether we're going to open ourselves up, as others have mentioned, and make ourselves vulnerable. Right. That's the key. It's, yeah. it's the uncertainty that, that plays into it. And when you're uncertain, you're going to be defensive. I've got one back here, Jeff. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, it's important to be able to Right. I appreciate it. Good. Sure. Um, Jesus' first words to her were you give me a drink. He lowered himself down to her level. He asked her to help him. And that's a good approach, is to ask for help. It kind of allows the other person to realize that this person needs me. And when we start needing each other, it becomes easier to communicate with one another and to hear each other's story. But he didn't approach her as, I don't care who you are, give me, uh, give me this or give me that. 
he asked her, "Will you give me a drink of water? And so it kind of shocked her. Yet, you know what shocked her? Jews don't drink, use the same utensils mm -hmm. as Samaritans. That's what shocked her. You're going to drink out of my cup? Mm -hmm. What? You're going to drink out of my cup? I don't care how thirsty you are. That wouldn't happen. I, you know, last week I put the word on the board, hagios. I think, that's what, I think that's what holiness calls us to do, to be separate and apart, to be a peculiar people, to be a people that will step out of our comfort zones and do something different. Okay? Let's let's go we, we, let's go to chapter eight and take take a look at it. Yes, ma'am. And I may remember this wrong, but I'm thinking when Josh was teaching some of this last year, one of the things he said that humbled me deeply was that she could have been rid of And every time I've ever heard this taught or every time I've read it, I judge that woman that is having a lot of hope. And I just now that Josh said that and I'm pretty sure he did it in the sermon. It's like, and I think that's what we do. All right. We look at people and think we know their story. Five husbands. Oh my gosh, how long is that? In reality, of you know, that's your bias that you brought to interpret in the scripture. Isn't, yeah. that, isn't that amazing? Until, and I just think that's. It's just been very humbling to relook at that. Right. Right. Look at chapter eight. This is the woman caught in adultery. <clears throat> um, we, were, we were talking about the other day. We were talking about the word, uh, the words communal discernment. Because truly, it truly uh, making decisions and shepherding comes down to communal discern, discernment. I mean, what is our <clears throat> what is our congregation ready for? What can what can they tolerate in the kingdom of God? And I think I think as a community. We make better decisions than just a group of elders or a group. We, that's why we always try to reach out and get as much help as we possibly can. Um, this, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but this passage, um, uh, grammatically, uh, uh, textually, according to uh, the German philosophers, uh, Form Geschichte, does not fit here. It doesn't. It, it it doesn't. It doesn't fit in line with it, but. So why did it get moved? It moved several places. But why? Because when you're in, even when you're interpreting it in Greek, it doesn't read the same. It's like somebody else starts talking. Right, right. But why did it get moved? Just didn't Well, uh, it got moved because early scribes, early manuscript writers, felt like Jesus was too soft on adultery, and for a while they kicked it out until somebody found it and said, no, 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 it needs to go somewhere. And then they couldn't figure out where it goes. So it's in our canon. Why is it in our canon then? <coughs> Anybody know? Communal discernment. Why do we not have the Apocrypha, uh, Judith and Tobit and Maccabees in our canon? Communal discernment. Any of you read the Gospel of Thomas? <coughs> until a man is will I mean until a woman is willing to become a man, she has no place in the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's wackadoodles. 
That's the only verse I know in Thomas, but I can quote it. <laughs> there is more. There is more Q. Do somebody know what Q is? Is that an unknown document? It is. It is an unknown document. It's quella from the German word quella, which means it, it, it's the sayings of Jesus. Like here are sayings that we know that Jesus said, and you can map them across the Gospels. The Gospel of Thomas has more Q than any other Gospel. But it's wackadoodles toward the end. So, all right. Um, why the Gospel of Thomas? All right. Um, so Jesus is on the Mount of Olives now. I drew my map a minute ago. This is Sychar, Nablus. Jerusalem would be right here. Okay? So they're, they're at Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. And it's interesting that in all of the travels of all the four things that they did, the first thing I do is do the geography. They all came through Samaria to get there. All their travels, they went through Samaria. And nobody goes through Samaria, so it's, I think it's fun. I don't know if the person that wrote this had that intent or not. So Jesus um, is on the Mount of Olives. Um, here, here's the, here's the takeaway as we read this story. I want you to I want you to hear this. It's not the business of believers, the people of God, to be moral judges for anybody. That's not our job. Watch what happens. So Jesus is standing in the Mount of Olives, and this group of Pharisees and group of temple, temple uh, people come in and they bring a woman who was, how does it say it? She was caught in the very act of adultery. Okay? Do you think that they caught her or they staged it? Huh? It seems like it's staged. It's staged. Yeah, they it's, it it's staged. As a matter of fact, when Jesus talks to them here, he said he he basically uses a word in the Greek that means you you who are not complicit in this, you throw the first rocks. He he knew what they were doing. They were trying to trap him. Now, what are they trying to get? What kind of a trap are they trying to lay for Jesus? Okay, the Jewish law says she should be stoned to death. That's in Leviticus, right? So what if Jesus looks up and says, I think we should stone her? Who's he in trouble with then? The Romans. The Romans, why? They can't kill anybody. Because the Romans had taken away the right for the Jews to kill anybody. So they got him either way. You see that? Mm-hmm. And so what's his response? What's Jesus' response to this whole deal? If you, if, to understand this, you have to see the words, he stood up and he knelt down. He stood up and he knelt down. He knelt down, and in Greek it says, he katagrathia. Mm-hmm. He wrote with his hand, Cartography. And it, to be honest with you, that's a quotation from Proverbs 30. Right. <coughs> it's amazing what he does. Yes? Okay, you also have to realize, too, it's pretty much she's naked. So they brought her out of the act and stood her in front of everybody. And so he kneels down and he draws on the ground. Instead of looking at her, being embarrassed and everything else, he took himself away from that 
that guilt or that sin right there, and he grew on the ground. And then when he raised, he said, you with no sin throw the first stone. I've never heard that she was naked. She could have been. I don't know. I mean, they, they didn't have the hang-ups we have with clothes. Because um, he, he directly addresses her after that right. anyway. Right, right. Yeah, I, I never. Either way, they knew down. they knew what she had been doing. They knew, and uh, uh, Charles Stanley says that probably he thinks that pro you know, and, and it, once again it's conjecture. Nobody can prove it. That probably her complicit partner was in the audience. Same well, deal. What about him? Huh? What about him? The Me Too movement did not exist at this time. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't condemn her, but he convicts people. I mean, he's he's not condemning sin. In her, he's not condemning her in her sin, mm -hmm. but he is telling her, "Don't sin." Right. I'm not condemning you, but I'm convicting you to to be pure going forward. So he doesn't ignore the sin. He just doesn't condemn her. Right. I, I, just just this is purely conjecture. How do you think that affected that woman? For a religious man with a prayer shawl, a rabbi, to look at her and do unlike these other religious people that came and were bringing her forward, Jesus did the opposite. He didn't condemn her. He had mercy, but he said, don't sin. Don't sin. They weren't trying to correct her. They were ready to kill her. That's exactly right. It's like a person walking away from a car wreck without a scratch. You just all knew you were dead, but then, but God, something happened in this moment. Right. And this right. was a situation like with this one. She knew she was about to die. Right. A brutal death. Yes. It's also a comparison to Old Law and New Law. Jesus is bringing Right. Right. That's, that's right. Exactly. No, yeah. She wasn't the only one that he also told not to sin anymore. God they gave blind that he held his eyes and then he came up on him and he was begging again and he said you know you read between the lines a lot because that doesn't say that <laughs> <laughs> he does and Jesus tells him there he says go and sin no more right I mean I believe what you said but it doesn't say that so that's good <laughs> um, okay let's take that example let's go to Acts 15 this is my favorite <clears throat> analogy for where I think we are. I mean, we're all smart enough to, to read Scripture and to understand it and to see what's right and what's wrong. But um, this is the Jerusalem Council, and I hope you've read this whole thing. But what you need to know is that the gospel cat is now officially out of the bag. Um, the Jews... The Jews thought that they could keep God to themselves for all these years. And now the Gentiles are coming. And it's causing a big, huge problem. So, what do we as Jews, who have grown up keeping the 614 laws of Torah since our inception, what do we do with all these goyim? You know what that means? It, 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 anywhere you see the word Gentiles, anywhere you see the word nations, anytime you hear a Jew talk about Goyim, they're talking about us in the same light that we talk, and probably not today, but they're talking about us in the same light that we talked about Samaritans. Mm -hmm. 
they're, 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 let me put it, let me give you a Muslim term, infidels. That's who Goyim are. That's us. Okay? So, how are we going to handle all these Goyim coming and taking apart, to the Jews, they thought they were taking a sect of Judaism with them. No, we're starting a new thing, says Jeremiah. Um, <clears throat> okay, so, um, how, do, how does this get solved? How we're going to treat Gentiles? Paul and Barnabas come and they tell about all the things that are happening, all the good things that are happening. And how does this get solved? It is communal discernment, but it's communal discernment among the elders. These men, these elders, went into a room, and what I want you to see, with no scriptural precedent, none, zero, nada. Nowhere in Scripture would you find that we treat Goyim like this. But why did they do that? Well, I don't know. Peter stood up and said that he had gotten it because he had already been to Cornelius. So there was precedent already. So but that's not Scripture. Right. It's, it, it is for us. It wasn't for him. Yeah. It was given to him by God, so it is scriptural. Um, but uh, he, uh, it's culture. And again, it's coming back to culture. They're looking at something that's cultural to Judaism. Uh, and how can you expect to reach another culture without taking into account uh, their background, which is what comes up with Paul at Athens. You know, if you can't include their ideas, their culture into it, then you're not going to be able to reach them. So uh, they're seeing the need to branch out, just as Peter saw that he had to branch out when he went to Cornelius. And I think it plays with that too, because in Acts chapter 11, we're dealing with the same thing. That after the Cornelius event, Peter had to come back to these elders and tell his the story of what happened. Right. Now, here we are again. And some he changed years, his story. Yeah. And here we are again some years later, about, I would say somewhere about 20 years later, right. dealing with what happened with Peter. Because I believe that Paul and Barnabas are coming now from the um, northern areas of, of uh, what you call it, Antioch, coming back down saying, hey, we got a problem. Because Peter, who preached to Cornelius, was still a bigot when he got into this situation. Because he, he turned his back on those people. When people from James came, Paul didn't like it. If we know in Galatians, he stood up and said, hey, oh, this is a problem. And he said by revelation that he came back in Galatians. I believe that's what we're seeing here. It's him coming back trying to hash this thing out. Because he realizes we can't continue like this. It won't be a good thing. The community is going to be torn apart by this problem. We've got to fix this. And like you said, they went into a room. That was interesting. Let, let me let me change it. And I've been in that room. <laughs> I've been in that room. That's not funny. <laughs> it's not a funny not a funny deal. Because people have different ideas. And here's what I want to change the change the I want to change the angle. What does Peter what do Peter and Barnabas see that the Jews of the day did not see. <clears throat> they saw how directly it changed those people's lives. I okay. mean, they saw the Holy Spirit descend on those people, the 
thing that it descended on them at Pentecost. Right. So they saw the effect and the change face to face. Yeah, I don't know if this is where you're going, but God moved first, and they could not deny what the Spirit had already done. Amen. And so, what do you do with that? And big picture, what does that say? That the kingdom of God is not limited to Jews. The kingdom of God, uh, Imago Dei, we are all created in the image of God. And everyone deserves a good word. And everyone deserves a good word of grace. Um, That's hard to take. Tom, what we got? It's 10.46. Okay, how does that relate to what I need to do? <laughs> now we're supposed to be done? Good, we're going. No. Um. Can I make one comment? I thought it was interesting. Verse 19, it says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to right. God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals. It's interesting, you said, but we should not make it difficult. Right, and let me, let me say something before you go on this, because we, they did not make it easy on the Gentiles. In the Gentile world, the only way you got meat was you got meat that was sacrificed to mm-hmm. idols. So what he's doing is calling, to a, calling them to a life of veganism. That's what he's doing. Now I got a problem with that religion. So no. <laughs> but what seriously what he's at what he's saying is you can't go to your temples anymore, your pagan temples. Right. You gotta change your whole life. You become hagios. You're gonna be separate and apart, something totally different. Hey, thanks for tolerating this. I, I appreciate it. David, lead us lead it in prayer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, God, we thank you for this day again. We thank you for this group of people that are here and their tolerance of us as we try and uh, uh, words of your wisdom. Uh, thank you for Randall and the work he's doing. Uh, pray that you'll be with us throughout the week. In Christ's name, pray. Amen. Amen.